0: This evening we're going to uh, look at the character of Simeon, as it's described for us in Luke chapter 2. I want to begin by reading verse 28 of Luke chapter 2. Simeon took him, that is the infant, the baby Jesus, in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. But it would be good to look at Simeon this evening because uh, these are events that take place shortly after the birth of Jesus and also because it's the beginning of a new year. And uh, Simeon is an example of a godly believer, an example of a consecrated life. Uh, we don't often think uh, these days of, of being consecrated to the Lord, uh, of having a life that is lived for him. But, but Simeon is that kind of man. And uh, Mary and Joseph meet him as they come Into the temple. They've left Bethlehem, it's six weeks after Jesus' birth, and uh, they've come to fulfill the demands of the law. There were two requirements when a a firstborn son was born they had to be redeemed, a price had to be paid of five shekels. You think of the Passover and the death of the firstborn and the redeeming of the firstborn of Israel. And the Lord Jesus Christ, though he was without sin, no sinful nature, yet he is redeemed. And they pay the redemption price. There would be prayer and then the payment of that redemption price. And there was also a sacrifice to be offered for the purification of the mother. In this case of Mary. And there would be a sin and a burnt offering that would be offered. Uh, usually the worshippers didn't uh, bring the animals all the way from home or the birds. They, they bought them in the temple and then offered them. And it's significant that in the case of Mary and Joseph, uh, they don't offer a lamb as more wealthy people would have done. Um, but they offered a, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Uh, they were away from Nazareth. Joseph was not working Uh, they didn't have the kind of income to afford the more expensive lamb. And uh, so they made that provision in the law, something that uh, applied to them. So here's a family coming to do what every Jewish family did when a son had been born, a firstborn son, redeeming him by paying the price and offering a sacrifice or two sacrifices, a burnt offering and a sin offering for the purification of the mother. And as they come into the temple, there's a sense in which they're just another couple coming with their baby son. Uh, there are no angels singing about the significance of it. There's, there's no halo around the baby. They're just a, a couple from Galilee who are in the area because of the census. And they're coming to do what the law requires. And as they're coming into the temple, Simeon is there. He had been moved by the Spirit to go into the temple courts at this particular time. And Simeon is a man who's described as righteous and devout. He's a godly man, and he's got godly desires, and those desires particularly focus upon the promised messiah. And it's a great thing, isn't it, to see a life that is consecrated to God. You think in the Old Testament of Samuel, born to Hannah, uh, unexpectedly. She didn't seem she could have children. Then she she had Samuel. And what did she do? Well, when she had weaned him, she gave him back to the Lord. And uh, he was to spend his whole life in serving the Lord and uh, would be an important person in the history of, of Israel a whole life set apart to God. And we sometimes only think of that in terms of people who undertake what we call full-time Christian service. But really, the response of a believer who has come to know the Savior is to say, well, I belong to you. My life belongs to you. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take everything I am. I think it's a challenge to us often, isn't it, as we sing hymns to ask, do I really mean that? Is that something that I'm uh, expressing from my heart to God? Not a mite would I withhold, like that widow who came and, and she gave everything she had to live on. And again, she was just an ordinary believer, perhaps extraordinary in a sense, and, and Simeon is that kind of man. And and what's taking place is is reminding us not only of God's great purpose in the Messiah, but also the reality of, of sin. Mary and Joseph, for all the special revelations they've had about the significance of this son, they still keep the law. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And they have to offer sacrifices of these birds. Uh, substitutes for them and of course the the son who has been born is going to be the ultimate sacrifice the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world Uh, we're not saved by what we do but by what God does as he intervenes and pays the price of our redemption that's why Paul can say you're not your own you have been bought with a price that's the link isn't it to consecration It's not something we're doing in order to win God's favour. It's a response to his grace to us. It's the only legitimate response to him, really, because of all that he has done for us. So this situation, which seems so simple, belies the immense importance of this child that Mary and Joseph are bringing, just a poor, ordinary family, and yet an extraordinary one, and an extraordinary son. And God had so ordained that there would be two people in the temple uh, who would understand the significance of this little family. Anna is one, we're not going to look at her this evening, but Simeon is the other. And they're both examples of people with an active, vigorous faith. In a sense, they stand out in the religion of Israel of that day. That wasn't the norm. Uh, The religion of Israel was at a low ebb. Um, But they were people who believed in the promises of God. They believed in God's plan of salvation and the restoration of Israel. They were godly people, and they were people of great worth. And in every age and generation, there are people like that. And and you and I need to be people like that. He's uh, an example of true godliness, uh, where he says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. We tend to assume that he was an old man. Uh, We're told that Anna was an old lady, but we're not told that Simeon was an old man. What he was saying is, now I have seen and have actually held the Messiah. I'm ready to go. He's not depressed. He just knows that this child is the saviour that he needs and he's ready to depart and there's something cheerful and wonderful about what he has to say, uh, especially in the kind of day he lived. Uh, the Sadducees hardly believed anything, and they doubted any sort of supernatural doctrines. The Pharisees were legalists and hypocrites, and uh, yet there were people like Simeon and like Anna who were different. They were not simply the product of their time. And I mean that not in the sense that they were not like unbelieving people, but they were different from the generality of believers. It's quite hard sometimes to be different from the general standard of spirituality amongst those who really are the people of God. Uh, Sometimes perhaps you may have read of times of revival, and you think, well, I would have liked to live in a time like that. And perhaps you feel it would have been easier to be a, a vibrant Christian when things like that were happening. But we don't live in those sort of days. And, and somehow the spirit of the age in the spiritual sense, in the church sense, in the Christian sense, permeates us. But, but Simeon stands out, and Anna stands out too, as, as being different. Uh, they are walking with God. They're knowing God, and they're, they're looking for the fulfillment of his promise. And one of the great needs in our society, and indeed in our churches, is godly people, people of spiritual desires. It's more than being religious. If you wanted to be religious, well, the Sadducees were religious. The temple was by and large under their control. All the things that went on in the temple. But they didn't believe much. The Pharisees were very active religiously, um, but they were seeking to justify themselves. They didn't really know God. And and then there are these... Apparently ordinary people like Simeon. And uh, he's described like this in, in verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. There was a man. Amongst all the people of Jerusalem, there was this man. There was a man in St. Melon's. There was a woman in St. Melon's. Like Simeon, is that what you aspire to be? He was both righteous and devout. Uh, That was his spiritual life. Righteous has to do with how he lived in relationship with other people. And devout was how he lived in relationship to God. And sometimes those things are divided. Sometimes people say, well, yes, my religion is what I do mainly. That's righteousness. Other people say, no, I'm mainly concerned with religious activities I'm devout, but the two need to go together. and They came together in the case of Simeon. Uh, Righteousness expresses itself in our care for others. In his letter, James says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world care for the needy, it runs right through the Old Testament and through the New Testament too. And that's how godly people live. They they look out for the vulnerable, for the needy, and they care for them. And also they try to keep themselves from being polluted by worldliness. It's, It's how they're living in relationship to others. It shows itself in a godly character, Later on in his letter, James in chapter 3 says that the wisdom that comes from heaven, and wisdom is there not knowledge and cleverness, but it's practical, godly living. And he says it's pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Again and again, that full of mercy, full of kindness, full of care for others. That's, That's the sort of man Simeon was. So although he was coming up to the temple... He wasn't a man who only thought of his relationship with God through the temple. But he lived a, a righteous life. He, he, he kept the, the second table of the Ten Commandments, as well as the first. And it, it's so important. Uh, Paul tells us that it's by grace that we've been saved, through faith. But this not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But then he goes on to say, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works we're not saved by good works but we're recreated in Christ to do good works you think of people like Dorcas who is described in the book of Acts and she dies and the widows come and they show the the clothes that she'd made for them she was a kind woman and so this man Simeon is a a righteous man but he's also devout he's coming to the temple three times in the day when Orthodox Jews would pray and if they could get to the temple, they would. And uh, the apostles did that in in Acts chapter 3. Peter and John are going up to the temple at the time of prayer uh, when they meet the lame man at the beautiful gate. The early Christians had that priority in a spiritual life. They devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine. That is the truth and to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. That, that's the balanced spiritual life that they're living. All those things, the, the Bible, the truth of God, fellowship with God's people, prayers, praying, praying individually, praying together, and, uh, and the breaking of bread as we did this morning, remembering the Lord's death till he comes. And, and Simeon is a man who, who followed all the spiritual exercises as well—they were all important to them. They were means of grace. That's how God sustained His spiritual life, as He sustains ours. So that Paul can exhort the Colossians: Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And so there was the worship of the temple. There were the sacrifices of the temple. And there was a regular pattern of prayer, and all these things were true of Simeon. He was both a righteous and a devout man. And uh, there was a balance in his life, there was a fullness in his life. And explains why it is that he had this longing uh, for the Messiah to come. And indeed it had indications that he would see the Messiah before he died. Uh, Because we're told that he was moved by the Spirit, he was led by the Holy Spirit. And so he went into the temple courts and there he saw Mary and Joseph and the the infant Jesus. The Holy Spirit dwells in every Christian. Uh, He's a comforter, a counselor, an advocate. He's the Spirit who is with us forever. I wonder whether we think very often of, of being moved by the Spirit In other words, something that comes to mind, uh, some conviction that is laid upon us, that is not just a product of our own thinking and our own ideas, but it's the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, of course, the Holy Spirit hadn't come uh, as he has now, following the death and resurrection of Jesus, but he was at work in the Old Testament, in Old Testament believers, and Simeon was that, that kind of believer, And he was sensitive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. For us, it is a a continual presence. He's with us all the time. In the Old Testament, it happened occasionally. uh, And there was inspiration, there was empowerment. So you you hear of of the Holy Spirit coming upon people to undertake uh, acts of bravery and courage. Uh, But it wasn't with them like that all the time. The Spirit came at times and prompted them. Uh, And yet here, Simeon seems to be a man who's who's sensitive to God and and God communicates to him through the Holy Spirit. Are we sensitive to what God is prompting us to do? You know, somebody comes to mind and you haven't been thinking about it. They come to mind. Do you pray for them? Do you get in contact with them? Because you feel it's a prompting, not not in any, any way that is always special, but just you want to do what God wants you to do. And uh, Simeon's that kind of man, and it was the Holy Spirit who brought him into the temple. And he was learning to know how the Spirit communicated with him. And when the Spirit communicated, he followed its prompting. One of the exhortations in the uh, epistles is not to be drunk with wine, but instead to be filled with the Spirit, which is speaking about that constant awareness of the Spirit, of being led and guided by him in every way. Because he's the one who guides us into all truth when we read the Scriptures. When we hear preaching, do we pray, O Lord, speak to me through your word and by your Spirit. And we want to be led and guided by him. That's the kind of man that Simeon was. He was devout and righteous and open to the promptings of the Spirit. And he trusted in God's word because he'd been given a a promise. It it wasn't a a scriptural promise in this sense, but it was based upon the promises of Scripture. Going right back to Genesis chapter 3, this constant promise, this golden thread that runs through the Old Testament. One day, someone will come. One day. The seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. And here he is. This is the one promised back in Genesis 3. He's, he's born of Mary. He's a true man, but he's the redeemer. He's the deliverer. He's the son of God. He's the mighty God, and he has come. And this little babe in, in Mary and Joseph's arms is, is the fulfillment of that promise. And all the time... Simeon had that promise in his mind, as indeed many Jewish people through the centuries had looked uh, for the coming of the Messiah. They looked and they inquired and they searched the scriptures. And they saw what God had revealed, the pieces of the jigsaw, about what would happen, but, but waited for him to come. And of course he only came when the time had fully come, Paul tells us. And now he's come. And Simeon has been told that uh, he will see the Messiah before he dies. And so he goes into the temple. And there he sees the parents and the child Jesus. And he takes him in his arms and he praises God. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. A number of things I want to draw out of what those words say and also another phrase earlier on in the passage. Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. In other words, he was living in difficult times. The Romans were in charge. It was a low... Spiritual ebb in Israel, but he was waiting for that time when God would restore his work. And of course, that happens supremely when the Messiah is born. And he's waiting for that. And he'd waited many, many years for him to come. However old he was, he'd waited. Because he was grieved and saddened by what he saw around him. And he knew that it was only God's breaking in that could change that and turn it around. And we're living in days, you know, which should cause us to grieve. The state of not just our nation, but the nations. As you think of the people who are leading the the most influential nations in the world, and the kind of priorities and people they are. And you look at the state of society, whether it's in the West or in communist countries, or in Muslim countries, do you grieve? Uh, Are you longing, waiting? for God to break in and to intervene. And he does that in all kinds of ways. He's, he's often calling people to salvation uh, out of these situations. Uh, the Churches in, sometimes in communist countries are growing despite the persecution. There are people coming to faith in Muslim countries despite the opposition of uh, Muslim leaders and authorities. And you long to hear of that. And you see the weakness of the church and the plight of God's people And you're moved by that, and you you want the Lord to come and to act, uh, not only in revival, but also to act in all kinds of ways, so that people might know that he is God and there is no other. And uh, so he's waiting, he's looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And here's this, who was he? He was a man in Jerusalem was one of the many in Jerusalem. It was what was in his heart that matters. It was the kind of man that he was. It was the things that really mattered to him. He wasn't content with things as they were, and he knew the promise. And he had been given that assurance that he would see the Messiah before he died. And You know, he has a, a big vision of what God is going to do. He says, for mine eyes have seen your salvation. He knows this child is a saviour. As you think about how Mary and Joseph gradually understood more and more about God's purpose through this child. And uh, as the disciples struggled to understand what was going to happen to the saviour. Simeon knows that this child is a saviour. He He says to Mary in verse 34, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. We saw this morning there's going to be opposition to him. And in fact, those who are high and important will actually be brought down and those who are seemingly insignificant will be lifted up. The rising and the falling of many. And a sign, and then he says, and uh, A sword will pierce your own soul too. As Mary stands by the cross of her beloved son, a sword pierces her soul as he dies, as he makes provision for her, as he cries out and uh, as he conquers and triumphs. And, And Simeon's got an insight into that and he knows as well that the purpose of God is big in the sense it's not just for the Jewish people. He says it's the salvation which you prepared in the sight of all people. A light for revelation to the Gentiles, that's where he begins. And then says, and for glory to your people Israel. He doesn't say Israel first and the Gentiles after. He realizes that God's purpose in his promise to Abraham is that Abraham would be made a great nation and through him all nations on earth would be blessed. He understands the purpose of God. It had been narrowed down by the Jewish people through the years. And they'd thought only of God's dealings with Israel. And they didn't really count the Gentiles of of any importance. But Simeon wasn't like that. We've got a big heart for the purposes of God. uh, We want the gospel to reach people of all kinds. We want it to go to the ends of the earth. And we want men and women of all classes and backgrounds to hear the gospel and be saved. We want our church to be representative of people from many nationalities, many backgrounds, many cultures, as it reveals through the church, through the local church, uh, the manifold mercies of God as he reaches us to us. And uh, Simeon has that big heart, that big desire, uh, because he knows in a measure perhaps that one day There'll be that great company in the presence of God from every nation under heaven, uh, saying that our salvation belongs to God and to the Lamb who sits on the throne. Now, Simeon only dimly understands that, but he does understand it. He's just a man in Jerusalem, righteous and devout. He's believing the promises. He's led by the Spirit. He's conscious that God is going to send a saviour. He's conscious that that saviour will be for people from every nation. And then he sees the couple and somehow he knows that this child is the child of promise. And he takes him in his arms. And then he says, sovereign Lord, as you promised, you now dismiss. He goes, I'm ready to go. He didn't necessarily die that moment, but he was ready to die. He was ready to depart. And you know, we're not ready to depart. We're not ready to die until we've understood who this child is. But we've understood our own need of a saviour. It's a great thing to have a big view of, of those who can be blessed by the saviour but we need to know him first ourselves. And, and Simeon takes him in his arms holds him and uh, he gives thanks to the Sovereign Lord. You think of how vulnerable Mary and Joseph were. It wouldn't be long before they'd be fleeing to Egypt. And this little child, so dependent upon his parents, so vulnerable to men like Herod. But Simeon knows that God is going to fulfill his promises through this child. And There are times, aren't there, when, when the work of God seems in a sense frail, vulnerable. Fragile that that purpose in Christ will prevail, we sang that him Jesus shall reign where'er the sun doth his successive journeys run, kingdom stretch from shore to shore till moon shall wax and wane no more. Is that your conviction? The kingdom of God is going to triumph and, and so this man in Jerusalem is a great example to us; he's a great encouragement to us, and uh, perhaps we pray at the beginning of a new year. Oh Lord, make us men like that, women like that, a spiritual desire of confidence in God, love for the Saviour, and a longing for God to be gloried in the salvation of the nations. Uh, some years ago, uh, a tribe in Papua, in the very eastern end of Indonesia, called the Kimyao people, uh, received a New Testament in their own language. Uh, missionaries and Kim Yao people had worked for at least 10 years and probably more, translating the New Testament uh, into this tribal language, a, a tribe of a few thousand people really. And there's a very lovely video, if you get a chance, go on YouTube and watch it, The New Testament for the Kim Yao People. And uh, the people are waiting when the day comes for the New Testaments to be delivered. And uh, uh, the the runway that uh, the plane lands on is one of the most dangerous in the world. The plane's got to come over the mountains and then drop down, and it's pretty bumpy. And uh, the people are waiting, and the MAF plane comes in, and the pilots get out, and they open the hatches, and they take out these parcels of uh, of New Testaments. Uh, And New Testaments have arrived on this particular day, for the Kim Yao people. And uh, one of their leaders receives the first parcel. Remember, these people haven't had the New Testament in their language, but they've been taught the truth. There's been an oral tradition. They've been told the truths and teachings of Scripture. They've had parts of the Scripture in their own language. And we tend to assume, well, you know, they're tribal people, and it wasn't so long ago that they were cannibals. It wasn't so long ago that they were really sort of uh, people living in the past, that the word of God has changed them. And one of the very moving things about this man's prayer, he says to the people, let's pray, let's pray. And then as he holds those New Testaments, he says something like this, Lord, I, I feel like your servant Simeon when he held the Lord Jesus in his arms. You had decided the day on which we, the Kimyao people, would receive your word, and that day has come. And like Simeon, now we have received your word. We want to read it and obey it, and make the gospel known. and And he says, "I'm I'm ready to depart because your word has come to my people." And it's deeply moving. It's a a scriptural prayer. Wonderful maturity in the churches and amongst these tribal people. And uh, I was in Papua. Uh, a few years later. And I asked, uh, is that man still alive? And he's not. They don't live to a great age. But before he died, he held the word of God in his hands. We've had the word of God for years and years, for centuries. But do we value what God has given us? And do we recognize the importance, the significance of it? Because all over the world, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing. Simeon knew nothing about the Kimial people, but he knew that that the message of the saviour would go out into all the world. He knew him, and he was ready to go to be with the Lord, which is better by far, but he knew that others too would rejoice in the coming of this child. And You see, Simeon was a spiritual man. That, That brother amongst the Kimial people was a man of godly desire, of spiritual desire. And he realised what it meant for the word of God in their own language to come to these people. And he'd been longing for that, he'd been waiting for it, and now the day had come. And in many ways, as God's people, it's it's a question of waiting, of longing, of looking for God to work and to break in, and keeping our eyes focused upon that until... The day comes. So, Simeon, great example to us, an example of consecration to the Lord. And that lovely prayer, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Amen.